0: So, open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy.
1: Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We are currently in our second teaching series entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and we are looking at seven sets of prophecy terms that uh, I have selected that came about as the result of preparing to teach a uh, third series, the next series about the uh, the next prophetic events on the uh, calendar, if you will, God's calendar, and there's actually 30 of them, 30 prophetic events that are yet to take place, and it will take us from basically today all the way through uh, eternity, which we find at the end of the last chapter of the book of Revelation. And as I was preparing those notes, I kept coming across some prophetic terms that if we don't Understand the distinction between them, we can be misled and get uh, to a point of misunderstanding that uh, could be um, a negative influence on how we look at God. And if we not if we're not properly interpreting God's word, we are not fully glorifying Him as He uh, would have us do. And that is to understand His word from a literal sense and to see that when he's using these prophetic terms, he's to make a clear point that to the discerning Bible student, they can see what he's talking about when, when, when we ask the questions, who is speaking to whom about what, and under what time frame, under what circumstances, and so forth. So when we ask those questions, these oftentimes become very clear, and if they're not clear up front, a little Bible study is what, basically as we're doing here, will we'll, uh, bring light onto the uh, these particular terms so that we understand them in the way God intended us to understand them. So, for instance, in point one, we've looked at the Son of God versus the Son of Man. You might say, well, that's Jesus. So when I read that one I and the other, I, I see them as the same thing. Well, they are quite, quite different, quite different. And hopefully you've seen that Uh, as we've gone through the many scriptures that you find on our worksheet, that, uh, of course, you can download it from this radio station's website. And then as we're in point number two and getting ready to finish it up is a contrast between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord, the day of Christ being the rapture and the day of the Lord being a period of time starting at the midpoint of tribulation, going through the second coming of Christ all the way through the millennial kingdom to the great white throne judgment. And the particular emphasis in the Old Testament, uh, which is where you find most of the references to the day of the Lord, has to do with the tribulation period, particularly from the midpoint to the end of the seven years, so that last three and a half years, and then culminating with the second coming of Christ to judge the earth. So that's why you see so much uh, darkness and gloom and doom in the descriptions, uh, the many, many descriptions of the day of the Lord uh, are, are very negative, whereas when you read about the day of Christ, they're encouraging. And then we're often admonished to encourage one another as we learn more about the day of Christ because that is what the church, what you and I are looking forward to. We will have no part in the day of the Lord um, in the sense of any judgments We will obviously be here on the earth in our glorified bodies, ruling and reigning with Christ as the church during the millennial kingdom, but um, the Lord will be sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, and he will be taking care of business, (laughs) if you will. So uh, we'll be uh, participating in that millennial kingdom with him, but it's um, for and about the people that are on the earth during the millennial kingdom. And the people on the earth during that kingdom will be those who make it through the tribulation and then are judged as righteous by Christ at his second coming. But that's all part of what's called the day of the Lord. And we've been in um, the New Testament passages in the in the book, the two books of Thessalonians that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. And the reason we're focusing on these two books is because this is Paul's explanation to them about why they have not missed the rapture. They have been told that the persecution that they're experiencing, uh, in some cases leading up to death at the hands of the Roman government who are requiring them by law to worship Caesar sitting on a throne in Rome, in Italy, as God. And that, of course, they're not. They're, they're worshiping God and Jesus, the, uh, the Son, is their Savior. So they are part of the church that started at Pentecost. And he is writing these letters to console them uh, and to make the case of why they have not missed the rapture. So we spent quite a bit of time in First Thessalonians chapter 5 where he went through and did quite a, a good description of the difference between the church and the unbelievers, the sons of light, if you will, for the church, the sons of night and darkness for the unbelievers. But his focus was on the tribulation period because that's when the real focus is on Israel. The church has been raptured out, we're in heaven with the Lord being wedded and enjoying the uh, the wedding uh, feast if you will for those 7 years and then we'll come back with him at the second coming when he comes back to judge. But that just to make the point that that is the the framework that Paul the writer here through the leading of the Holy Spirit is using to describe the difference between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord to these Thessalonians who are worried. And we are now in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 to kind of wrap up this whole point about the day of the Lord, where he makes the clear distinction for them of the difference and how they can tell the difference. And what I'd like to do is read the first 10 verses here. And it says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and to our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Verse 4, Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he, referring to the Antichrist, takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Verse 5, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Verse 6, and you know what restrains him now, what restrains the Antichrist, so that in his time, in the Antichrist's time, he, the Antichrist, will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then, sequentially, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. We're going to stop right there. There's a lot of good information to follow, but we're going to stop right there because I want our focus to remain on the distinction that Paul is making to the Thessalonians between the rapture of the church, the day of Christ, and the day of the Lord, when um, judgment starts, and the wrath of God is turned against Israel. Because you, you ask, well, why is the wrath of God turned against Israel, and why is it at the midpoint? Why isn't it at the beginning after the church is taken out? Well, remember that the church, when it's removed, God's attention comes back to Israel, but he tests Israel, and by testing, he allows the Antichrist to be revealed because now the church is taken out of the way, the restrainer is out of the way, and we are the restrainer because we, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells the church. So the Holy Spirit, who is actually the, the restraining influence, is doing that through the church. So that when the restraining church is taken out of the way, then the Antichrist can be revealed. And the first thing he does to start the seven-year tribulation is, according to Daniel 9, verse 27, is to enter into a peace treaty with Israel, with Israel. So Israel is protected in that first half. Uh, And it's to the point where he uh, allows, the Antichrist allows Israel to build their third temple in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount. And at the midpoint, the Antichrist, according to chapter 2, verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians here, takes his seat in the Temple of God. The Antichrist actually goes into the Temple of God and displays himself as being God. So at that point, Israel at least a portion, not the believing remnant, but the other part of Israel that's unbelieving is looking at the Antichrist as the Messiah. They're thinking that he's the Messiah. And that influence on Israel uh, in their unbelief is so great by the Antichrist that he actually works out a time when he can go into the temple and declare himself God. So that is the key Fulcrum, if you will. It's the key midpoint of the tribulation when everything changes. Israel has been protected in the first half. In the second half, again, according to Daniel 9, verse 27, the Antichrist breaks the treaty. At the moment that he declares himself God, in verse 4, he breaks the peace treaty with Israel and turns around and starts attacking Israel. This is the wrath of God. This is the wrath of God against unbelieving Israel. Now, a remnant of Israel is a believing remnant at this point, and that's the remnant that goes into hiding. And um, many theologians today believe that that's in Jordan in a town called Petra. And that's a discussion we've had before, and we can get into detail later. But the important thing is for the unbelieving remnant of Israel God is allowing the Antichrist to go after Israel and to uh, to attack him any way he can. Um, so it's going to be the time of the great tribulation for Israel. And he makes the point that in Thessalonians chapter 2 here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that you, brethren, you believers, you members of the church, you're not going to see any of this. And he tells him that right up front here because he says, in verse 1, regard with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and our, referring to the church, our gathering to him, that these other things can't take place until we're gathered to him. The day of the Lord, for sure, the midpoint can't happen because the church has not been taken out of the way. And he starts explaining that in verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you for it. What's it? The day of the Lord. Will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Now I'm going to make a um, statement here that is in—it's different from many of the interpretations that you hear today. But the reason that I am confident of uh, this interpretation of the word apostasy is I simply go back to the seven English versions of the Bible that were written before uh, the most well-known, and that's the King James Version, 1611. So before the King James Version, all of the Bibles, all the English Bibles, interpreted the word apostasy in chapter 2, verse 3, as the departure, as the rapture of the church, the departure of the church. And for some reason... Starting with the King James Version and including all the Bibles that we find today, they changed it from departure to apostasy. uh, uh, The other definition for apostasy, meaning a falling away, a departure from the faith. Okay, so that's the way a lot of church people and a lot of Bibles, uh, therefore, a lot of Bibles, therefore, a lot of church people interpret verse 3 as a falling away from the faith that this has to happen first. Well, for several reasons, not the least of which is all seven versions in English before the 1611 version of the King James all said the departure relative to uh, the church leaving the earth as opposed to people leaving the faith. The other point is, if you notice in your, your Bible, it says the apostasy, It's a very definite article. It's a -a one-of-a-kind concept, a -a one-of-a-kind event, the falling away. Well, we know from the scriptures, particularly from Paul, he was um, complaining or, if you will, chagrinning the fact that people were falling away from the faith during his lifetime, that this falling away from the faith, this one singular event of a falling away from the faith doesn't makes sense in the context, in the flow of what Paul is saying here. Whereas the departure, which we know is a singular event, never happened before, never will happen afterwards. It's a singular event. The departure, the rapture makes more sense here. Now, let me go further here as we go through this passage and show you that in context, in the flow of the scripture, apostasy should be interpreted departure makes more sense than um, a falling away from the faith. And let me make a general statement before I go forward here. Nowhere in Paul's writings to the Thessalonians, either Thessalonians 1 or Thessalonians 2, does he say anything about a falling away from the faith. Nowhere in here. It's all about the difference between the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord to, to judge. So even in the context, it would suggest that this means departure of the church, not a departure from the faith. And then as you look at the way Paul has structured Second Thessalonians chapter 2, these first, let's say, eight verses, he basically gives you a sequence of events twice, not just once, but twice to make an impact on you, he's saying in verse three that the apostasy and let's just say the word uh, rapture here, the rapture. Unless unless the rapture comes first, the man of lawlessness, uh, will uh, can't be revealed. The rapture has to happen before the man of lawlessness is revealed, and then this is continue on with that thought. That's the first statement. Verse four, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Verse five, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things and you know, so here's the second set of statements and you know what restrains him now, what restrains the um, Antichrist so that in his time he will be revealed. So something is keeping him from being revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, which that's the Holy Spirit, only he who now restrains will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. Where does the Holy Spirit reside? He resides in the church. The John chapter 14 verse 17 says the Holy Spirit will never leave the church. So when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, the church is taken out of the way. Then, verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. So hopefully you see that twice he says, if you if you um, understand that apostasy means rapture, the departure of the church, that the departure of the church is happens before the man of lawlessness is revealed. And then he says it again in another way, that the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, um, is keeping keeping the Antichrist from being revealed, that once the restrainer is taken out of the way, then the Antichrist can be revealed. And when the Antichrist is revealed, that begins the tribulation. So you see the distinction between the day of Christ which is the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord can't come until the church is taken out of the way. All right, we will we will uh, finish this up. <laughs> I almost want to say I'll promise you that, but we will finish up the day of the Lord in our next teaching portion. But we have to transition now, as we always do, and I enjoy this. We transition now to our Q&A, and let's look at a question that was uh, posed. Uh, The question being, does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end-time prophecy? And we've gone through and talked about how God is the wife, or God is the husband of Israel, his wife. He describes himself that way several times in the Old Testament. In fact, we have the wedding ceremony between God and Israel in Exodus 19. And then we wanted to clarify the point that the church is not the central focus of God's overall plans from Genesis to Revelation. It's Israel. And everything before the creation of the church, which happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, and everything after the church is raptured out, uh, which we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18, or in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 51, uh, everything after the rapture is all about Israel. So before Pentecost and after the rapture, it's all about Israel and Israel's relationship with her husband. And we were going through Acts chapter 15 over the last several programs and comparing Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 18, with Amos, which is the quote that's used in Acts chapter 15, Amos uh, chapter 9, verses 8 to 12. And remember that Amos was written in the 8th century B.C. And in a literal interpretation of the Bible, Amos, as well as all the Old Testament writers, none of them could see the church. It was not in view. All they could see was the first and second comings of Christ. So in between the first and second comings, was the church or is the church. But they had no view of that from the scripture. And we were making that point by looking at Amos chapter nine and reading that, which we did starting in verse eight. And you can see where Amos was talking about that God was going to punish Israel as he has been doing in the old Testament. And he's still doing it because his back is turned on Israel for a period of time. But then Amos tells us there's going to be a period of time in the future when God is going to turn his full attention back to his wife, Israel, after the church is gone, and he's going to rebuild Israel to its former glory and beyond that. And that's what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom, according to the scriptures. But there's nothing in Amos chapter 9 about the church for obvious reasons. that He had no knowledge. Uh, even with the Holy Spirit leading him, that was not to be revealed until the apostle Paul made it known to to all of us and revealed that mystery of the church. So then we were going back to Acts chapter 15, which is where we we were at the end of our last uh, program and looking at the point that uh, when they quoted Amos, they actually added some words, <laughs> added some words to the quote, Uh, which gives the revelation of the realization of the rapture because that knowledge was known to them when Acts 15 was written, but it wasn't known to Amos. And that point is very clear in Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 14. And it says, Simeon or Peter, the apostle Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. So hopefully you see in the verbiage in verse 14 it says first. So we're establishing a sequence of events. It's very important to understand that there is a sequence of events here. And the first event, according to Peter, was God taking from among taking from among the Gentiles a people for himself a clear, very clear description of the rapture of the church, the church being, dis- being uh, started at Pentecost and taking them out at what's called the rapture. And the reason we can f- be confident that he's talking about the rapture here is the next two verses. For with this, the words of the prophets agree. Agree with what? Agree with what Peter said, just as it is written, And here's where they add a phrase in here to Amos, because Amos couldn't have known this. You don't find this in Amos chapter 9. It says, after these things, after what thing? After God takes from among the Gentiles a people for himself, I will return. So here we see the sequence of events that God is saying, I'm going to take the church out. These are the people who have come to my son in faith. I'm going to take them out, and as soon as I take them out, I'm going to return. Return where? Return to the earth. And what am I going to do? I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. And I'm going to restore it. Why? Verse 17, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. In other words, remember from Zechariah and other scriptures we've studied, the whole world, Isaiah chapter two, as well, and um, uh, Micah. They say that the whole world will come to Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom after the tabernacle of David has been rebuilt. As we read here, they're going to come back to, they're going to come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord. It's very clear in the scriptures verse 17 to continue, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. And of course, what's long ago? Well, over 750 years before this, that's when Amos wrote, and that's what they're quoting here. But the key point I want to make as we understand this is that it's the focus after the church is taken out, is clearly, clearly going to be on Israel. The Old Testament says it over and over and over again, and now we find the apostles, Peter particularly here, in the Council of the Apostles, which is what Acts 15 is about right here. He's saying that the church is going to be taken out. All these people who have believed on the name of Jesus Christ will be taken out, and then I will return. Jesus will return, and then we see this wonderful millennial kingdom takes place. So the, the point I want to make here is the church is a finite entity in a finite period of time from Pentecost when it started through the rapture, and everything before Pentecost and everything after the rapture is all about Israel and all about its relationship with her husband, God the Father. So we will continue that because I want to show you some very specific scriptures from the Old Testament that show you the focus that God has on Israel, his wife, and what his glorious future plans are for Israel, his wife, and to make that distinction from the church because you're not hearing it today from most churches. We'll talk about it again. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us
0: on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The basics from Consider the Ant. Simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.